Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Last week together, or maybe a couple weeks ago, we uh, looked at the placement of First Peter in our Bible. We got a chance to see how First Peter fits into our Bible as a whole. And this week we're going to uh, begin what we would consider the exposition of this book. We're going to start looking at it, or we're going to start looking at some of the words I believe to understand the first few verses, we have to understand some of the words to begin with. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to take the first five verses, we're going to take a, a, a word or two, depending upon which verses we're looking at, and we're going to look at them uh, themselves, and then where they are in our Bible, find some other places where they are in our Bible to help us to understand what those words mean. And then I believe together next week, next Sunday morning, we'll take these same five verses and we'll look at them together. So in other words, I believe what will happen is I really, uh, you're going to find the first, um, first 15 or so uh, verses, 16 I guess really, of this, of this book are necessary to understand. There's such depth. The first, the first six, seven, eight, nine verses are such tremendous depth to these verses. We really have to understand them in order to understand what it is that God is saying throughout this book. Now remember, it's very simple. The, the overall message of the book is very simple, and you can see this in verse 8. Let's look at verse 8, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. So 1 first, first Peter chapter 1, verse 8, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of verse 7, it says, Whom, speaking of our Lord Jesus, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In whom we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory simply in Christ himself. Earlier we read a passage in Chronicles. We stood, toge we, uh, stood together afterwards and we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Uh, I have found, I've been saved now for over 30 years, and I have found that I have never, ever, ever, not even for a moment, as an absolute, I have never not rejoiced when I looked away unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now I will say this, in the 30 years that I've been saved, there have been times in my life when I have got my eyes off the Lord Jesus to the wind and the waves around me, and I have begun to sink, as it were, and I have had to cry, Lord, save me, and he has never left me, never forsaken me, never left me to myself, never left me to the consequences of even my own actions, but he has always quickly and immediately rescued when I cried out, always, always. And I find myself um, amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. Amen? This is what it says. Now, by the way, this is in the context of knowing that there's heaviness. We, we'll get there. We'll get there in the study. Knowing that there's great heaviness. As long as you live here on this wicked world and you live in the same flesh that you've had since you were born, there will be weight, meaning, not just being overweight, 
There will be weight of heaviness in our lives. This is a reality that we have to understand. Listen, it's so important you understand this. When God saved us, he gave us complete and full forgiveness of all of our sins. And he gave us the Holy Spirit so that sin should no longer have dominion over us. Sin no longer has to rule and reign in our lives. And praise God for that. And yet, and yet, while that is true, he still ever liveth to make intercession for us. Because even though the Christian need not have failure in his life, there still will be failure in the life of the Christian. And because he knows this, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And so it, is, it, is, it should be the, the normal, everyday reality of each and every person who's truly born again to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory in just one thing over and over and over again. And it's not where you go to church. And it's not in your brothers and sisters. And it's not in your Bible understanding. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we find that if there's anything we ever want to boast about, if there's anything that any Christian ever brags about, it's Jesus over and over and over and over again. And yet I would say this, you could never reach the height of our Lord Jesus Christ in your talking about him. You could never say too many good things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. There are too many people that believe when you talk about Jesus, it is simply religious talk. But it isn't religious talk. It's not religious talk at all. Again, the person that pointed me to Christ, the person when I went to talk to someone about life and this person pointed me to Christ, I said, I do not want to talk about religion. And his answer was this, good, because neither do I. And yet he started talking about Jesus again. And I really thought that Jesus was just a religious figure. I didn't realize that he was God the Son who so loved us that he came to rescue us from ourselves. And not just rescue us, but keep us rescued. Amen? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. If you truly have biblical salvation, then Christ is your Savior. Amen? Understand that? The church is not your Savior. The pastor is not your Savior. Your mother is not your Savior. Your father is not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. And if he is your Savior, then you are kept. And we're going to see that together today. So let's look. Just look at a couple of words. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll look at a couple of words and we'll be done for this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, bless us as we spend these couple of minutes together looking at these five words and help us to understand them in their context together. Lord, help us this week even to draw closer to you through this very passage. Bless us, Father, that we would understand that you have promised us, you have 
promised us lives, our everyday lives, that we would be able to live lives rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The words I want to look at, if you want to underline them in your uh, Bible, I do this kind of thing all the time. My Bible is full of many marks. I find it to be very, very helpful. By the way, it, there, is a, there are pens. If you want a pen for writing your Bible, uh, you should see uh, the office. The office, I think, may have some of them. They are pens that are designed not to smudge or run or fade or anything else. I did not know this when I was a young Christian. My Bible is full of things where I wrote on this page, and it's on this page, and this page, and this page, and this page, and it bled through. Sometimes I'm not sure what I originally underlined anymore. Some of them, some of the things that I wrote are now just a big blurb of color. You know what I'm saying? If you understand what I'm talking about. So, but there are pens that will help you to be able to do this so that that won't be the case. Highlight, underline, highlight, some way, identify these five words, and we're going to look at them together today. The first one's in verse one. It's the word strangers. Underline the word strangers, if you would. That's going to be the first thing we're going to look at. Ironically, the second word is the word just after that, and it's the word scattered. Scattered. Strangers, scattered. Those two words. Then in verse 2, the word elect. Underline the word elect at the beginning of verse 2. And then go to verse 3, and you can underline it's two words. It has a word in between it. It's one word in the Greek, but it's begotten again. Begotten again. Us is in between it. You can underline all of it if you want to, but it's begotten again. And then the last thing we're going to look at uh, together this morning is in verse 5, and it's the third word of that verse, and it's the word kept. Kept. Strangers scattered, elect, begotten again, and kept. What you'll notice is all five of these words are identifying who we are. We are strangers, we are scattered, we are elect, we are begotten again. And we are kept by the power of God. And that's what I believe the Lord would have us to look at together today. So the first one is the word strangers. Now if you want to see this, this helps me such a great deal. Now what you can do if you want to, before we turn the page, if you want to write in the margin by verse 1, if you want to write Hebrews 11.13, I don't know how you're going to do this, you decide how you're going to, but if you, we're going to go to Hebrews 11.13, but we're going to go there because of the, of the word strangers. So if you want to identify that somehow, great. If you don't, great also. But turn to Hebrews, Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 13 if you would. Just a few books back. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 11. It is Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you. Did I say 13? That's the verse when you get there. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. Hebrews 11, 13. Anybody have any idea what Hebrews 11 is about? Anybody at all? Anybody? Faith, maybe? Faith, right? It's, by the way, let me say this. It's often called the Hall of Fame of Faith, and I really kind of disagree with that as the idea of it. What you really have in Hebrews chapter 11 are people who trusted God at His Word because of the work that God had done in their hearts that He would trust them at His Word. And yet it is necessary that you and I individually trust Him. In other words, in order for you to have what God wants in your life, you're going to have to believe Him at His Word. Look up here for a moment before we look at this. I can't tell you how important this is. Listen to me. Faith is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Faith is not an ambiguous emotion. Faith is the word trust. Believe is the verb form of the, of the word faith. And both of them have at their heart, at their definition, 
trust. Listen to me. Look at me. Look. Faith is that you believe God at his word. Okay? Listen. Faith is you personally believing God at his word. Not feeling a certain way about something. Faith is your response to what God says about this. If you trust him, that's what faith is. God says this. Let's just take this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe God at that verse, then you're trusting him or you have faith in what he says there. So when you come to Hebrews chapter 11, these people didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings. These people didn't have tremendous acts of confidence. These people did not believe deeply in themselves or deeply in their community. These people believed God at his word. Amen? All God has ever asked anybody is to believe what he says at his word. I don't want you to believe what I say at my word. I want you to believe what God says at his word. Amen? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Why? Because it's all you can put your faith in. The only thing you can trust is what God says about this. The difficulty is this. We believe our understanding or experience of what God says about this. Instead of asking God to show us what he means when he says this. And what he'll do in our lives to accomplish that is show us other passages in the word of God. Listen, the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Do you understand? The greatest way to understand this passage is to understand this passage. Be in the word of God and let the word of God be in you that the Holy Spirit would have that to use in your life. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 it says this. These, speaking of the first 12 verses by the way, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. In other words, there were things that were said to these people that they were confident was going to happen and it didn't have to happen before they died. Amen. By the way, listen, listen. I really truly know with all of my heart that I'm going to be with Christ for all of eternity. Amen. And guess what? I will not see it probably unless the trumpet sounds. If the trumpet sounds, then we'll all see it instantly. But unless that happens, I'm going to have to get hit by a bus or something like that in order for this to take place in my life. So listen, I will not see the thing that is most important to me until after I die. Do you understand? You know what the, you know what the, you know what the best thing about heaven is? Jesus. Amen? You wonder what the second best thing about heaven is? Your sin won't be there. The best thing about heaven is that Jesus will be there. If Jesus is not there, I don't want to go. I, I mean, I love my grandmother. I'd like to see my grandmother. I, there are many people that I'd like to see. There are many people who, I've, who, have, who have gone to be with the Lord since I've been the pastor here at Tidewater that I look forward to seeing again. But if Jesus wasn't there, I'm not going. That is not, that has nothing to do with why we want to go to heaven to see our, our loved ones. We want to go to be where the Lord Jesus is. Amen. The author and finisher of our faith. But the second greatest thing about heaven still is in our loved ones. The second greatest thing about heaven is my sin's not going to be there anymore. There will be no selfishness. There will be no meanness. There will be no anger. There will be none of my flesh there, period. Amen. These all died in faith, 
having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And interestingly, the word that's actually the word for strangers is the word pilgrims. This is what we're doing. Listen, look, look, look. You're going to go to work tomorrow. Most of you, many of you are going to go to work tomorrow. Or you're going to go to the store. Or you're going to go somewhere. Listen. And if you're really born again, you're going to be kind of an odd duck. Really, you are. And that's okay. It really is okay. Listen, listen, please hear me. The best chance that anybody around you has is for you, is for them to see the love of God in Christ in your life. Do you understand? Listen, look, look, please look at me. Look, look. Since you've been saved, you have things that you no longer do. I can't go, if I gave you the list of the things that I no longer do, it would tell you the things that I did do. And I don't really want to talk about those things. But since I've been saved, I do not do an awful lot of things that I used to do all the time. Do you understand? And when I went to work, it became pretty clear quickly to everybody that I no longer did these things anymore. How I talked changed. Where I went changed. How I interacted with women changed. All of these things changed in my life. But you want to know what drew people to the difference in my life? The love of God in Christ in my life. It wasn't the rules in my life that drew, that drew people to what. They, they didn't come and say, Chuck, you no longer drink. I want that in my life too. They could care less about whether they drank or not. Do you understand? But this is what they cared about. You seem to have peace. You're a much better person than you were before. You're more kind, much more kind than you were before. You're much more um, concerned about other people than you were before. These things changed pretty much immediately in my life. Why? Because that's how the Holy Ghost changes us when he saves us. Amen? Do you understand? Look, we are strangers. We are pilgrims in this world. We are here, living here, looking to go where? There. Yes? Yes? Now, I know I said, I think I might have said this recently. When I was in the Navy, I went to many other countries in the world. I went to many of the countries just in the Mediterranean and places, well, anyway, it doesn't matter where. I went to many other countries. And you'd be surprised how poorly run most countries in the world are. Actually, those of you that are children today wouldn't be that surprised because this country is getting to become just as poorly run as those are. But what I used to look forward in the 80s to coming back to the United States of America because I was coming home to a nation that was well run in the 80s. And it was well run in the 80s. But now what I've come to realize is this. This is not my home. It's not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen? I'm just passing through. Listen, have, have you ever been camping? Raise your hand if you've ever been camping. Put your hand back down. Raise your hand if you like camping. Man, you guys are weird people. <laughs> I like camping, too, as long, as long as it has a hotel room in it somewhere. Amen? I'm, I'm fine with going outside. I just don't want to sleep there at night. Amen? All right. When you go camping, there are things that you don't concern yourself with because you don't live there. Right? You go camping and you say, oh, we don't have blah, 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 and we don't have blah, blah, blah. That's all right. We're only going to be here for a short period of time. They, we call it what? Roughing it. We're roughing it. Amen? Really? We're roughing it. It's okay. Well, listen, listen. Honestly, we're pilgrims. We are strangers here. This is not where we live. This is not where we're going to spend eternity. This is where we are right now. This is the context of this. They, they confessed. 
They, 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 were, they knew things were coming that weren't here yet, and they were okay with that because even though they were living in a borrowed land, literally, even though they were living in a borrowed land, this was not it. This was not where they were going to end up, and they were okay with that. And by the way, listen, they died in a borrowed land, knowing that the promise was that their children would inherit better than they had. Praise God for that. This is what God wants us to have in our lives. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's the only other place, by the way, that this stranger shows up. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 11, and in 1 Peter chapter 2. The same word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Again, the word here is pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. While you, look, look, everybody look up here. Let me ask you this. How many, of you, how many of you can testify to this honestly? How many of you can testify that since you've been saved, you did not realize just how much of a problem your flesh was going to be? Anybody want to testify to that? Go ahead and raise your hand up nice and high if it's true for you. Not because you're bragging about it, but because it's important for people around you to see it. Uh, when I got saved, I really thought that I was just going to be a wonderful person. I mean, Jesus is a wonderful Savior, and I was quite confident that he had really saved me, so I was going to become a wonderful person. Well, I'm still waiting to be that wonderful person, because I have found that in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. But, but the change in my life is noticeable to almost everybody. But what I have come to realize is this. It's not me that did it. It's not even me that you're seeing. When you see good things in me, it's not me that you're seeing when you see that. It's actually Christ in me that you're seeing when you see those good things. Amen? So notice what he says this. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, knowing that this is not where you're going to live, just abstain. Now look, what's abstain? What is, anybody want to guess what the word abstain? How much do you get when you abstain? Anybody want to guess? What's abstinence, right? Zero. Yes? Let's say you were abstaining from pizza. That'd be terrible, right? Abstinence from pizza, I don't think it's necessary, by the way, either. Okay? There's nothing spiritual about abstinence from pizza. Now, if, if, you have, if you have a couple different things, like if you can't have um, any dairy product, then you can't have pizza worth having anyway, so don't bother, okay? But, but for the rest of us, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit says, I don't want this in your life anymore, guess what? You don't need it. And here's what it says. What does it say? Abstain from fleshly lust, which what? Which war against your desires. That's not what it says. It wars against your soul. We're, listen, look, look. We're living in a world that is full of wickedness, and our flesh still likes some of those things, but it's never good for you. Never, never. So this is what he says. Just let it go. Just let it go. You don't need that in your life anymore. Just let it go. Now let me ask you this, and this is a wonderful thing. Is there anything that God wants to remove from your life that is good for you? And the answer is no. Now listen, listen, this is important. Is there anything in your life that God wants to remove in your life that you're going to wish you still had when you're walking after the Spirit? And the answer is no. Nothing. Nothing. God not, does not want you to master these things. He wants you to let Him master these things in your life. This is the first word, strangers. I'm taking a little time on this. I, 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 we need to skip and go on to the next one. The next one, if you go back to verse 1, is the word scattered. 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 Now, what do you suppose it means to be scattered? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this, way, this word quickly. But what I want you to notice, again, it only appears in a couple places. So if you'll turn quickly, I'll talk quickly. John chapter 7. 
John chapter 7. Go to John chapter 7. This is dealing with the word scattered. John chapter 7 and verse 35. John chapter 7, verse 35. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, speaking of the Lord Jesus, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Now when he says the dispersed among the Gentiles, who is he making reference to? Anybody want to help me with this? Jews, right? Jews. He's talking about the Jews that are dispersed. Now listen, in 1 Peter chapter 1, where it says the strangers scattered, he is speaking primarily and first of all to the Jews who are scattered, who are not here. So what he says is this, we have these strangers, the pilgrims, those who are the children of God, who are living in a strange place, but they're not living in a strange place together. Wouldn't it be easier if we could just all be in one place that way? Yes? Wouldn't it be easier if we were all born again? Let's say, how many born again people do you suppose there are in the world? I mean, honestly, how many born again people? And the irony is, some of you are going to say, oh, thousands. Some of you are going to say millions. Some of you might say a billion. I don't know what the number you're going to come up with. I don't know what the number would actually be. God's the only one that knows what the number is. But whatever that number is, it's not the 250 that are here right now. Do you understand? So there are probably tens of thousands, probably I would say millions of born-again people on the planet right now. But guess where they are? And this is the answer. Everywhere. They are everywhere. They are what? Dispersed. They are scattered all over the planet. Who did the scattering, by the way? Anybody want to guess? God did. Do you have any idea why Christopher Pearson is not here? Let me say it this way. My mother would word it this way. Do you have any idea why Charles Pearson is not in Vermont? And the answer is because God scattered them. That's why. My mother was convinced that I just didn't love her anymore when I wouldn't come back up to New England and plant a church in New England. And my answer was this. Mom, I cannot go where God does not call me to go. And so I'm going to be here in the Hampton, Road area, Hampton Roads area because God has called me to be here. Now, when Chris went over to China for a little while, and I said, don't you think it's time to come back to the 7... Literally, don't you think it's time? There's plenty of work to do over here in the 757. His answer was, he actually brought up that exact wording that I gave my mother. Even gave the account of when I said it. I remember when you said to Grandma... You couldn't go to New England because God had not called you there. Well, Dad, I can't come back to Hampton Roads because God has not called me there. Listen, this is important. We are strangers. We are strangers. We are strangers and we have been made strange by what God has done in our lives. And guess what else? He puts us where he wants us to be. Now listen, he wants us to assemble together. God wants those who are strangers to assemble together, but to assemble together where he puts us. Do you understand that? This is significant and it's important. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. It was in, we, we, we read this before. It was in our, the last study that we did before 1 Peter. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm just wanting you to get an understanding of these words. We're going to tie them together, Lord willing, next week. But I think it's important that you see it in their context. James chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Same exact word, same exact truth, and that's this. There are those 
who were Hebrews who knew that Jesus was the Christ. And wouldn't it have been nice if they could have all just lived in Jerusalem forever? And by the way, guess what they were willing to do? Live in Jerusalem forever, right? Do you remember how God got them to leave Jerusalem? Anybody remember how God got them to leave Jerusalem? Persecution. He brought such terrible persecution into Jerusalem that they actually fled to get away from it. Because Christians like one thing less than being by themselves, and that's being picked on wherever they are, right? And so listen, what God wants us to understand is this. It is important and significant in our lives that we assemble together and serve together as strangers together, but wherever he would have us to be. And this is so significant and so important. Some of you will be dispersed. And in five years, some of you won't be here in five years. And God will have taken you someplace else. And wherever that is, serve him there. Recognize this, that you are a stranger wherever you go. And you are dispersed by the God of the universe wherever he would have you to go. And he would have you to assemble with others just like you. That's the point. What he's teaching them in 1 Peter and in the book of James is he's not talking to them as if in, as individuals. He's talking to them as members of a church somewhere. But they are still pilgrims and they are still strangers. The next one I want you to see is the word elect. And boy, we sure don't have time for that, do we? Right? Just think about this, the, the, the subject matter of election. The, the doctrine of election. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I need you to see it. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Let me just say this this, this morning about election. God, God has not elected certain people to go to heaven and certain people to go to hell. In fact, let's start with that first. Let's deal with that first. Go to 2 Peter, very close to where you are right now. Go to 2 Peter, chapter 3, 2 Peter, chapter 3, and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Now, here's the question. Let me just show you the, 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 uh, the question. Uh, the question is, why has God not come? If Jesus is coming again, why hasn't he come again? This is at the beginning of chapter 3. If Jesus is coming again, why hasn't he come again? And this is the answer. It's in, it's in, it's in verse uh, 9. The Lord is not slack. Concerning his promise. In other words, Jesus is coming to get us, but he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Notice this not willing that how many? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come? And listen, this is why. Because there are people who are still going to receive Christ. That's why. When there are no people on the planet, that are going to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll put an end to all of this. But right now, and thank God this is true, there are still people on the planet who are still going to trust Christ for salvation. Amen. Listen, this is very important to those of you who have loved ones who are unsaved. You have hope because they have breath and we have time. Amen. But what you need to understand is this. When it's time to put this over, when it's time for this to be done, it will be done. But the reason I drew you here is because some people believe that election says this. This is way, I'll just do it this way because it's just easy. Kenny's right here, so I'll just use Kenny. Kenny, you choose here. You choose to sit here. So here's what we're going to say. Kenny is elect. Kenny is elect of God to be saved. And I am elect of God to not be saved. Now, I know this is not true, so I don't mind saying this. Kenny's elect of God to be saved, and I am elect of God to not be saved. That's not true. There's, that's not a biblical doctrine. There's no truth in that at all. 
Do you understand? Election is according to what? Anybody want to guess? Because we just read it. Election is according to foreknowledge. Does anybody know what foreknowledge means? It means that God literally knows the end from the beginning. Because guess what? God does know the end from the beginning. So God knows this. Does God know whether Kenny will ever trust Christ or not? Yes or no? When Jesus says, listen, Jesus speaking to a specific group of Pharisees, says to that group of Pharisees, this is what he said, you will not come unto me that you might have life. This is what, listen, let me say it again. You will not come unto me that you might have life. Could you ever make that statement to anybody? You will not come unto Jesus. Can you ever make that statement to anybody? You could never make that statement to anybody. You want to know why? Because you don't know. You do not know. You could say this, I don't think you ever have come to Jesus for salvation, but you could not say you will not come unto Jesus for salvation. So when Jesus says to that group, that small group, this is not something he said to all Pharisees, but to the specific group he was talking to, he said, none of you will let me save you. But I would. But I would. Because I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. God wants you to understand concerning election this. God knows what's going to take place. Now, here's the point. We're going to talk about this much more next week and the week after that. This is the point. This is the good news about election, and that is this. If God has started this, he's going to finish it. Because, he, listen, if you, all you've got to do is trust God at his word. I said that earlier. This is the whole point of election. The whole point having to do with election is this. You believe God at his word, and I do too. If you do, if you do. If you're pretending, God knows you're pretending. By the way, if you die pretending, you're unsaved. Don't pretend with God. Either really believe God or just stop going to church, one or the other. You must have the truth in your heart. You must believe God at his word. This is what God wants you to understand, and I just wanted you to see that. So that's all I'm going to, I have more that I want to say on that, but for time's sake, I'm not, I'm not going to say that this, this morning. What I do want you to notice, you go look at some of these things having to do with election, and what you'll find out is this, this tremendous confidence, this tremendous blessing, this tremendous benefit to you knowing that you're a new creature, to you knowing that because of election, God is going to get this done. Everything I need to trust in, I can trust in because God has committed himself to doing this. Then the next one is in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and that's begotten again, begotten again. First, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Now, if you want to see this, this is expounded on in this very chapter. Go to verse 23, chapter 1, verse 23. Same exact phrase, same exact wording. This is what it says Look, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. If, listen, look up here, look, look. If you're born again, if you're born again, it was by the word of God. Look at me, look, look. If you're born again, it was by the word of God. It's because you believe what the word of God says. You understand that? Listen, listen, hear me, hear me. You cannot be born again because of the church. You cannot be born again because of the preacher. Do you understand that? You cannot be born again because of the church, because of the preacher. Can the church be helpful to you be born again? I hope so. Right? That's the whole point of what we're doing here. Yes? You can, I can be helpful as the, as, the, as the minister, as the pastor. I can be helpful, but I cannot make you born again. 
In order for you to be born again, it's going to have to be according to the word of God, born, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Turn to one more passage and we'll be done. John chapter 1 and verse 12. You need to see this in its context. John chapter 1 and verse 12 dealing with being born again. John chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Talking about being born again. Same wording. Let's start in verse 11. It says, He came unto His own. The Lord Jesus came unto His own, meaning to the Hebrews, right? To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He came unto His own and His own received Him not. But, boy, this is wonderful. Boy, isn't this wonderful for us. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Again, because we believed what God the Father says about God the Son in the word of God, we had the power to become the sons of God because we believe on his name. Amen? Now notice what it says in verse 13. And here's where the words are, by the way. Which were born, underline the word born, and then the last two words of verse 13, of God. Now in between which were born of God, there are other words and there are commas. And what they are is they are, these are exclusions. These are not how you're born again. You're not born again this way. Not of blood. Now look up here. Look, this is how this works. So if we take two of the girls that sang. So this one right here. So Rebecca, would you raise your hand? Rebecca's our youngest child. And she was born. That's my wife, Kathy. My wife, Kathy, was saved already before Rebecca was born. I was saved already before Rebecca was born. But when Rebecca was born, she was not born saved. She, you, cannot be born of, you cannot be born again. You cannot be a new creature because your parents are a new creature. Do you understand? You cannot be born again because your parents are born again. It doesn't work that way. And that's what the Bible is saying. So when she, now by the way, what's really wonderful is the two girls that sang together at the piano this morning were both born again in the last year. That's just wonderful to me. That's just wonderful to me. And here they are standing up here together singing wonderful truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing Psalm 23 in a beautiful, wonderful way. Amen? Amen? But, they, but, but Cameron, who's sitting right there, and Gary and Leah are right there. Cameron can, listen, she cannot be born again by blood. Rebecca cannot be born again by blood. Nobody can be born again by the blood of their parents. It can't be. That's what the passage is saying. Which, not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, here's what that's saying. You can't make yourself a new creature. That's what it's talking about, your flesh. You can't save yourself. I'm going to do better. Try. Try it. Go ahead. Really honestly. Try. Try hard. Please try hard. Let, let me say this. If you're going to try to get into heaven by your good works, please try hard the first time. So you don't have to go through it over and over and over and over again and find yourself failing over and over and over and over again. Go ahead and give it maximum effort right now. For the next year, try as hard as you can so you can get that nonsense out of the way. Because you cannot be born again by the will of the flesh. You can't save yourself. And then the third one, and the last one, before he tells us how it can be done, is nor by the will of man. And this is the real important one. And that is this. The preacher can't save you. Listen, how many, honestly, let's say this. Let's say this. How many people in the room, without, with, they're not showing off, just how many people in the room are truly confident that they are born again, that they are a new creature? I really know, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved by, saved by the blood of Christ. Okay? That's a lot of people. Put your hand down. 
together. How many people can we make a new creature? All of us together, working together as hard as we possibly can. How many new creatures can we make? And the answer is how many? Zero. Okay, let's, yeah, but there's only a couple hundred of us. Let's get a couple million of us together. How many could we save then? And the answer is zero. Zero. Not of the blood, not of blood. You can't be born because your parents are. You cannot because of your power, and you cannot because of the power of anybody else or everybody else together. But here's how it can be done. By God. Amen? Born again. Now, by the way, this is in the context of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His, what? Abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? So he's talking to a group of people who are strangers scattered everywhere, but they are elect and they are born again. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So we begin this book, the book that talks about being the promise of, of being able to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And this is what it says. Even though you're strangers and even though you're scattered, one, one, you're elect. Two, you're born again. And the last one is you're kept. You're kept. That's in verse 5. Turn with me to, to, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And we'll end here. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, who are kept by the power of God. So, you, so listen, look, look, and we're going to finish with this. Those of us who are born again were born by the mercy of God, and we are kept by the power of God. Is that good news or not? Yes? Can, listen, honestly, can you, imagine if, can you imagine if it was up to us together even? For, 2 Corinthians, is, go, go read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is going to teach us this. We are not sufficient for these things. Listen, listen, hear me. When you study 2 Corinthians, this is what you're going to learn. The Apostle Paul is going to say that they had learned. When he says they, he means the apostles. The apostles together had learned that together they were not sufficient for these things. Because guess what? We are not sufficient for these things. But who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is God. That's what it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Let's just talk about the word kept for just a moment. I'm going to turn to one verse. I'm just going to turk to one verse today, and that's to 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. Turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, toward the end of the book. In Damascus, this is Paul when he was in Damascus, okay? In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. So he kept the cities, the word kept, the same word. He kept the city, he kept the city with a garrison. Now, what does this mean? Okay, we are kept by the power of God. He kept this city by a garrison. You know what this means? This means literally he closed the city up. Nobody got to come. Nobody got to go. He guarded the whole city and literally searched the whole city searching just to find Paul. And he used an entire garrison to do it. Now that's pretty remarkable. I mean, honestly, you've got to be a wanted man to do that. That's an awful lot of taxpayers' dollars being used to hunt down one guy. 
But here's the significance of that truth. The same way that a man can keep a city if he's got enough people. In other words, he can either guard or attack a city if he has enough people to do it. We are kept just by God himself. Amen? I want you to, uh, listen, this is what we're going to close with this morning. If you're born again, I want, you to take, I want you to take your hands and go like this. I want you to take your hands and go like this. And I want you to picture yourself in the center of those hands. But what I want you to realize, these hands, that we, that, uh, the symbol that I'm having you draw, these hands are the power of God. These hands are the hands of God. And you're in the middle of that. Jesus is very clear about this. Yes? Jesus is very clear. Nobody can take you out of the Father's hands. Right? When I, I know, let me say this. It may, it may help you. It helped me a great deal. Let me take, I have a mint in my pocket. Okay? I have this little mint in my, in my pocket right here. Here. See, can you see that mint? It's a little blue mint. Right? That's an Altoid. Very strong, by the way. Take this mint. I put it in my hand. Right? And I close my hand. When I, when I was younger, when I was a young man, probably in my 20s to 30s, I would put something in my hand like this, and I would let my sons, Chris and Andrew, who were little at the time, we're talking probably you know, three and five, that type of the thing, I would hold my hand like this, and I would tell them, take that out of my hand. And I didn't do this for an object lesson. I don't know why I did it. I just did it just to show them, I guess, how much stronger I was than they were. Okay? So here's what happens. So you hold your hand like this. And they, can, they can't even pull one finger, maybe your little tiny finger, right? Maybe your little tiny finger, they can, with all their might, maybe they can open that. But they can't get your hand open. Now, I couldn't play this game with them anymore, okay? Because they would break all of my fingers off. I don't, know why they would, I don't know why they would want that mint, but they'd be able to get it if they wanted to. But here's the wonderful truth. Listen, listen, this is so important to you. Listen, we are strangers. We are. And we are scattered. I'm thankful that we're scattered here together. Honestly, I am thankful that those of us that are scattered in the Hampton Roads area are able to be gathered together in this building together right now. I really, really am. But we are strangers and we are scattered. But, but, we are elect because God knows our hearts. We are elect. And here's the good news. We are born again because we trusted him at his word. And here, here, and we're kept. Kept by God. We could not be in a better position. If you're, listen, please hear me. If all you have is religion, please get rid of it. Honestly, I mean that. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Trust Him to be your Savior and trust Him to be the one that keeps you. Nobody can get you out of His hand. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this time together this morning. Father, I ask you that you'd bless each and every one of us that we would simply believe you at your word, not me at my word, but Lord, I pray that we would go through this passage again, just Lord, just these five simple verses, that we would go through them, that we would understand the significance of what's, being getting, what's getting ready to be said to us in the context of the fact that we are strangers scattered, but we are elect according to foreknowledge, we are born again according to abundant mercy, and we are kept by the power of God. Lord, would you help us to lay hold of these things? Would you help us to rejoice in them if we're new creatures? And would you help those who are not new creatures to depend on them, to put everything else they've ever had and put that away and simply trust you at your word. We thank you for this and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.